So in this case, the truck's trying to make a lane change over, and for some reason, somebody sees a big self-driving truck and is like, I'm just going to cut in anyway. <laughs> so I don't know how many of you drove here today, but I expect you had an experience like this today, right? It just happens on the road, often well, with BMW drivers. It, it strikes me that... <laughs> I guess there goes that partnership. <laughs> Fully autonomous vehicles are closer to commonplace than you might expect, as cars and big rigs gain the ability to operate safely on our streets and highways. As one of the pioneers in the field, Chris Ermson has been there almost from the beginning, competing in the landmark DARPA Grand Challenge before going on to lead Google's self-driving car initiative. Now he's following through on the vision as the CEO of Aurora, which is developing self-driving technology for use by a variety of car and truck manufacturers. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. On this episode of the GeekWire podcast, we're playing highlights from my conversation with Chris Urmson at the recent GeekWire Summit, starting with his explanation of Aurora's approach. So we, we founded Aurora about six years ago with the mission to deliver the benefits of self-driving technology safely, quickly, and broadly. And what we're building is the driver technology. So we don't want to build trucks or cars. There's people who do that really well. We don't want to go and build Uber or FedEx or any of the carriers. There's people who do that well. We want to just build the driving technology to power those businesses. The driver we've built uses a combination of different sensors. So again, LiDAR radar camera. We use our special high-definition maps. We've got our proprietary first-light LiDAR, which allows us to see further than, than others can. Um, and we have a lot of computing on board. Uh, and it's this common architecture, common hardware and software that works everything from the, the light vehicle, the Toyota Sienna here, through the vehicles that we work with from, from PACCAR and Volvo. So today, we have trucks on the road in Texas pulling loads for customers every day, uh, right? Without... With people on board still. With operators on board, but yeah. not drivers. But not, yes. So, so they are, they are licensed drivers, just in case there's anyone from a regulatory agency anywhere right. nearby. Uh, right. We have to have a licensed driver behind the wheel, but they are paying attention. They're monitoring the system, but, uh, the vast majority of the time, the thing is driving itself and it's doing this on the freeway. And it is a very smooth, capable driver at this point. It does the things that you'd want other drivers to do. So if it sees vehicles trying to merge in, instead of like emphasizing that it owns this lane, it will make space and move over so that the oncoming vehicle or the onboarding vehicle has space to move in. When it sees a vehicle stop on the side of the road, it'll slow down. If it can't lane change, if it can, it'll make space and do all of the things that a good conscientious driver would want to do. Why big rigs first? for a bunch of reasons. So one is there's just an incredible need for this technology, right? In the U.S., we're short 80,000 drivers today. We expect to be short 160,000 drivers by the end of the decade. It is one of the contributing factors to the supply chain challenge we're dealing with. The safety is, is profoundly important. It's about a half million heavy trucks accidents per year. That's something we can do something about. As a business, the economic opportunity is even better. So trucking today in the U.S. is about a $700 billion industry. Ride-hailing is about a $35 billion industry. And so just from addressable market that's there now, it's profound. And then when we look at uh, the opportunity to build the business and scale it, unit economics are stronger. Said simply, we pay truck drivers three times as much as we pay ride-hailing drivers. 
And so if you think about introducing a technology, having a higher you know, revenue to pull in makes it easier to kind of start to scale the business and then move into other spaces. And then finally, from a technology point of view, we expect to be able to scale more rapidly. If you think about what a mile of freeway in Texas looks like versus a mile of freeway in Minnesota versus a mile of freeway in California, they're all basically the same. You know, if you can drive one, you're going to be able to drive the others. Whereas, you know, I live near San Francisco and I think about an intersection in San Francisco and I go five blocks away from that and it's different people, it's different behavior, it's different geometry, it's different things. And so the scaling there becomes much more technologically biased rather than operationally biased. And as building a business, we want something that we can just, you know, kind of launch it and scale it and operate it quickly. And because of that investment understanding uh, uh, with First Light LiDAR, we think we have something that no one else has. And that's always a good way to start a business. Let's get down to some of the nitty-gritty realities to get a sense for where things are headed. Just recently, another self-driving technology company opened up their tests in Bellevue, Washington. And one of my colleagues told me that they would prefer not to ride a bicycle in Bellevue anymore because of concerns about the way that those cars might drive. And yet, I'm seeing here behaviors in these trucks that frankly are in many ways more responsible and more attentive than a lot of drivers. What do you say to people who are concerned about safety on the streets? Yeah, so I think first, this is a new technology. It is very rational and reasonable to have concerns and questions and want to understand it better. That's, That's perfectly normal and healthy. I can tell you that, you know, at Aurora... I I think I rattled off our mission earlier, deliver the benefits of self-driving technology safely, quickly, and broadly, right? It's core to the DNA. It's how we think about this. It's why we're as transparent as we are about how we do safety at the company. We've shared our framework for how we're going to convince ourselves and others that the the vehicle is safe. So we think that's really exciting and important in the way you operate. The technology is kind of magical in some ways, right? So it can look in all directions at once. And it doesn't have kind of the, the human response of foveation that happens. And, and what do I mean like that? So back when I was at Google, we were running cars in, in Mountain View, one of the, the towns near the, the, the company office there. And it was at night, and the vehicle was coming to a four-way stop or a traffic light. And a cyclist comes whipping around the corner on the wrong side of the road, swerves in front of the car, and carries on. And the vehicle stopped. Cyclists went by, everybody was fine, and, you know, it was kind of like, that's awesome, right? It's working the way you'd hope. It was at night, so it was dark. It was very hard to see. When I looked at the image, it was hard for me to see. Uh, and so I showed this video, and I was like, this is look, self-driving cars doing awesome things, being safe. And it took me probably a dozen, two dozen times of showing that video before I noticed that not only did it see the cyclist that was coming around the corner, which I, not even in this kind of crisis moment, was foveated on, it was tracking a pedestrian crossing the street. It was tracking three other cars. It was crossing, tracking a pedestrian on the other side of the intersection. The whole time, it knew where they were and was reasoning about them as well, right? And so that ability, that kind of superpower in the sense to, to see all of it, be paying attention to all of it, understand that things are important in it, but not lose track of the rest of it, you know, that's magical. And the other example I would talk about is I now hate lane changing on a freeway because when you lane change on a freeway, particularly in dense traffic, you're looking at the vehicle in front, you take your eyes off, you check your shoulder if you're a reasonable driver. Uh, But in that time, I can't see what's happening in front of me. 
And so if that vehicle in front of me is hitting traffic, right, in, in kind of busy situations, then I'm just going to plow into the back of them. And so it kind of bothers me every time I have to do this, whereas I know that with the technology we have on the vehicles, they're looking at both of those places simultaneously and able to reason about it. Uh, so there's, there's an incredible opportunity here for safety. It strikes me. I was going to ask this question based on the average driver, but now I can just ask it based on your own driving. Yeah. If you had the option at this stage today of driving I-5 from the Bay Area to Seattle yourself or having the Aurora driver drive for you, which would you choose so, safety-wise? So we're not quite there yet with the Aurora driver, but we're, we are making really good progress. There's a lot of the time where I would certainly trust it. Uh, right. And where we're at with your Aurora driver is around kind of driving up reliability. When everything's kind of turning over the way it's supposed to, I'd probably take the Aurora driver. But we haven't quite finished it yet. If we had, we would be operating without drivers today. Next up, some surprising similarities between Aurora and Microsoft. We'll be right back with more from Aurora CEO Chris Ermson about the future of autonomous vehicles. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. So let's talk about the road ahead, effectively, for Aurora. Aurora, in some ways, is analogous to the autonomous vehicle industry, to what Microsoft was back in the day to the PC industry. So you're not developing your own cars. right? You're making the technology that drives these cars, effectively, the, the operating system for autonomous vehicles. So when you look at that roadmap and you look at, especially Aurora Horizon, which is the uh, the big rigs. The truck product, yeah. Yes. What is next yeah. for you and for the industry? Yeah, so I really like the Microsoft analogy. I, I think that one should hold true for the next 20, 50 years. That would be great. Um, and I think it's actually more than, than skin deep, right? If I, I look at Microsoft's mission around empowering entrepreneurs, empowering businesses, right. right? That's very much aligned with the way we think and want to build our business, right? People talk a lot about tech as disruptive. And, you know, like it is, right? It evolves. It helps industry advance. It's why we have the amazing technologies and opportunities we do today. But we see the path here is working with amazing partners and empowering and growing their businesses and through that growing our businesses. And that will allow us to scale more rapidly. And I look at the the, the incredible partners we have, right? Volvo Truck and Packard, uh, which is here in the Northwest, We're excited to give them a shout out, right? That's about half of the trucks made in the U.S., we work with FedEx, we work with Schneider, we work with Werner, we work Covenant, we US Express. These are some of the big, uh, Uber Freight, we, these are some of the biggest names in trucking, right? And so finding a way to kind of build our thing and then leverage and spring load our business and spring load their businesses through these uh, partnerships is awesome. And then we work with Toyota, the world's number one car manufacturer. And we work with Uber, the world's number one ride hailing platform, right? Like, so we, we feel like we're, kind of trying to follow that Microsoft-type model of build a core technology that enables others to be successful, and that will build there in our business. How many years until we drive past uh, an Aurora Horizon, uh, Aurora driver-powered big rig on the highway, and it's just commonplace, almost like driving past an Amazon Prime 
so, uh, truck today. So today, if you are driving between Dallas and Houston, I would expect you will see one of our trucks, uh, right? And maybe several of our trucks. They're on the road uh, operating. They've moved thousands of packages, right? They do it on time. They do it safely. So you, you know, you'll see it. If you're driving between Dallas and El Paso, there's a good chance you'll see one of our trucks on the road. How far out from here in terms of your roadmap? Yeah. We've shared with the, the public our roadmap. So we are working to be what we call feature complete at the end of Q1. Feature complete means at that point, the Aurora driver does everything it'll need to, to be part of, to be a product out in the world, but it doesn't yet do it quite well enough. We're working towards the end of next year to be ready so that the system at that point, we are, have conviction in the safety of the Aurora driver, the way it will operate on the road and the way the support systems around it will operate. And it'll just be waiting for the, at that point, uh, hopefully, uh, the, the truck platform that has, is an autonomy enabled. And then we expect in 24 to be able to launch, uh, without operators on board. And, and some of our competitors are doing things where we're like, you know, maybe without as much investment on the safety side as we think is probably warranted. Is your biggest challenge right now regulatory, technological, or is it about the infrastructure of the, the highways? It's, it's technological, right? Uh, on the infrastructure side, we think, that the, the technology has to meet the world where it is today, right? And, and over time, in the same way when cars were introduced, roads sucked a lot. Uh, and then people were like, hey, it's kind of muddy and we get stuck and it's bumpy and so maybe we should make better roads, right? I think the same thing might happen here where the technology will come to market, it'll be operating on the infrastructure we have, and we're like, hey, it would be nice if we could go a little bit faster or the flow could be more efficient or whatever it is. And that will lead to infrastructural change. On the regulatory side, we don't need change today in most of the U.S. So in, in you know, 40-something of the 50 U.S. states, if we had a truck that we were confident in the safety of, we could operate on the roads today. There is opportunity for the regulatory environment to be more consistent across the U.S. There's a couple of states, you know, California where I live, we'd love it if they were to kind of move the regulatory process forward for heavy trucks, you can operate light vehicles without operators, but not heavy vehicles. So we're working with the state to, to help make that happen. But in general, the regulatory environment is okay in the U.S. It strikes me, in part, you were talking a little bit earlier about the impact on labor and the workforce and the fact that there's a shortage of truck drivers. When you look at the economic impact of autonomous technology, how does that shake out? Because I can see where there would be job loss in some cases as well. Yeah, so we, we expect this will be substantially additive to the economy. We think it is going to create a bunch of jobs that if we talk to customers and partners today, their expectation is they don't, they're not looking to replace the drivers they have. They just can't get enough drivers. Uh, and so for the foreseeable future, we expect that we will be operating trucks adjacent to people operating trucks. And then, and that if you are a truck driver today, my expectation is you will be able to retire as a truck driver should you choose to. But you'll also have these incredible new opportunities, right? We'll have folks, there'll be work around uh, the operating yards for these vehicles. There will be remote support assistance. There'll be all kinds of new jobs that come up that, that this enables and empowers. One of the things that struck me in listening to one of your recent investor presentations, and Aurora is publicly traded and yep. Amazon's an investor and, and others, we can talk about that in a second. But the way that you're going to drive revenue eventually is something that you call driver as a service. And that kind of bent my mind a little bit because obviously everybody's used to software as a service, but here you have effectively the digital replacement for a human that you're offering as a service. And, and in other words, this technology is something that 
makes it so you no longer require a, a human behind the wheel. So how effectively will that work in terms of your business yeah. model? Yeah, so, so it is driver as a service, and the idea is akin to what the airline industry does. So if you're an airline, you call up Boeing and you say, I want to buy a 737, and that you want it with the Pratt & Whitney engines or the GE engines. And then you take that, you, know, you, you buy the plane, and then you have an ongoing relationship with GE or Pratt & Whitney where you're paying them throttle by the hour. And so the same thing is going to happen here. So if you're a FedEx, for example, you'll call up PACCAR and you'll say, I want to get a 579 with the Aurora driver uh, installed on it. You'll get that as part of your fleet. Then you'll pay an ongoing, effectively, subscription to Aurora for the operation of that vehicle. And we'll you know, drive the vehicle. We'll provide the offboard support for it and whatnot. And it. And it's actually, you know, it kind of sounds like it might sound a little mind-bending, yeah. but it, it is very similar to the way that these companies operate today in that, you know, they're used to having a fleet on their, or a vehicle on their balance fleet, and they're used to paying drivers based on how that vehicle is utilized. And what's exciting for these customers is, one, they can, this is a scalable, reliable source of driving that they have a hard time today with, right? The, in the industry, turnover is about 90 plus percent on an annual basis, right? Drivers are leaving almost all of them every year. So the driver acquisition cost is hard, it's high, the training is high, just getting people is hard. So you get a huge benefit of just that scalable, steady supply. You don't have hours of service limitations. So today, if you're a driver, you can operate a truck for 11 hours a day. So you have this massive asset as an operator on your balance sheet that you don't get to utilize. We can push that closer to 24 hours a day. And that means uh, the key kind of business metric for these companies is revenue per truck. And so we will help them drive that up all the time being more safe, more fuel efficient. And so it's, it's an incredible opportunity and, and it aligns, our business model aligns very well with the way these customers are thinking about how they use their fleet. Coming up later, the implications of Amazon's investment in Aurora. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Aurora CEO, Chris Ermson about the future of self-driving cars and trucks. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Obviously, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders and tech leaders here at the GeekWire Summit and also watching online. And one of the questions I know that's on their minds would be, how can they capitalize on this? What are the opportunities out there? And when we were talking about this previously, Chris, one of my thoughts was, well, how could they provide technology for this? And, and you explained that in many ways, the horse has left the barn on that. Yeah. This has been developed. But there are things to think about in terms of the future marketplace. So first, we, we often think about it when a technology happens, it's kind of done, right? And, and I think back to the automotive world, right? 1918, the Model T was launched. And, you know, I could imagine people thinking, okay, that's it. We're done with cars move on to the next thing, right? And of course, over the last century, uh, there's been an immense amount of innovation in that space. And I expect the same will happen in automated vehicles, right? I expect Aurora's going to be here for the next century and that we are 
kind of working at it and advancing it and improving it over that time. That said, I think right now we are kind of in this moment of, okay, let's get a couple of these things across the line. And then there will be new insights where founders might be able to think, okay, I, I've seen that. I understand enough about it. And maybe there's an opportunity to create, create something there. But right now it feels like the, the environment is, is going to be challenging. I think a few years ago also with that kind of like, it's here today. Let's, uh, burn steering wheels, right? Um, there's kind of all these companies that were thinking about building marketplaces around the technology and all of the, the kind of secondary businesses that will come out from this. And I think that was too early. We're much closer to that time now, whether now with, is the right moment or whether it's a year or two from now to start thinking about, okay, what do we build on top of this technology? Because it's, I liken it to what happened. If you think about the transformations that have happened in either communication or transportation, right? If you think about moving from, uh, you know, the, the invention of the spoken word to the written word to the printing press to, you know, the telegram to radio to satellite TV to the internet to the smartphone. Each one of those has created immense social good, immense economic opportunities. The same has happened in transportation going from walking to the horse to the wheel to steam engine combustion, right? This is the next big thing. And so there's going to be really neat things to do. Well, you mentioned the smartphone, and I yeah. can imagine very few people would have envisioned ride-hailing services to, to come out of oh, yeah. this thing that you're carrying around in your pocket. It, it, it sounds crazy, right? Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to, like, in 2001, I'm going to take my phone out and have some random person pick me up in San Francisco when I land, and they're going to take me to my house? Hell no, right? But but clearly, that's turned in, into something, yeah. So... In our final couple minutes here, I am really curious, what has it been like to have Amazon as an investor? What have you learned from them? Any takeaways that you can offer for this audience? Yeah, you know, they, they've been a great investor for us. We're, we're proud to have them with us, right? They've, they've helped us understand a little bit better about their business and what matters. Obviously, logistics is a fundamentally important part of what Amazon does. And, you know, we're in the business of enabling logistics to be better. Do you envision them eventually using your technology? Uh, we would love that, yes. And they also are getting into the ride-hailing business through Zooks as well. Yeah. Do you see those as competing or complementary with what you're doing? Yeah, obviously, we, we would have preferred they not buy Zooks. Zooks, for those who don't know, is a competitor in the space, building their own car, driving stack and everything. I kind of think of it as like a three-miracle startup, and we were hoping for a single miracle. But if you're Amazon, like you just you had to, right? Uh, you, you know, if it's just to be a smarter customer for something that is going to be so fundamental to your business... You had to buy what was effectively the, the, you know, the bargain discount sale of this asset. And so, yeah, preferred they wouldn't have, but don't begrudge them them doing it. You've devoted your life to this pursuit. And I can imagine right now you're sitting on the precipice of, of the goal that you've been going after for many, many years, yeah. decades. Why is this so important to you and what impact do you ultimately hope it'll have on yeah. society? I got into this not because I had a big vision about self-driving vehicles, but because it was cool, right? The idea of like having a truck drive across a desert of 50 miles, that just sounded awesome, right? But over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with amazing people. I've kind of come to understand at first it was, you know, if we can help get our young men and women out of harm's way, that's a good thing, right? And then as we started to work on the roads, understanding the social impact, the, the safety benefits that we could have, Right, that was profound. Um, as you think about forty thousand Americans die every year, we just kind of accept that, and this is something we can do to make that better. One of the moments that really brought it home for me, though, was I was I 
received some award from the Foundation Fighting Blindness and got to go to this dinner and they asked me to give a talk. And uh, the gentleman before me is a, a doctor who invented a cure for a very particular kind of blindness. And he got up on stage and he started to talk about this young woman who had never seen before and how they gave her this treatment and she could suddenly see and how profound that was. And I was, you know, this was amazing and touching and, and I'm like, crap, I have to follow that. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so I got up on stage and I talked about self-driving cars and I talked about what we were doing and why it mattered. And the reaction was stronger to what I was doing than, than the, the doctor who went before me. And I was like, that's really weird because I'm not that good of a speaker. What became clear as I talked to the audience was that while this doctor had cured blindness for a very narrow set of people who were blind, the challenge that folks with, with various um, limitations have of not being able to be part of their community, not be able to kind of do all of the activities of daily life, that we take for granted was so meaningful. And this was one way to unlock that for them. I was like, oh, geez, like this is the, what we are doing is so fundamentally important to not just business, but to, to, to people and how they live that it was like, okay, this is cool, right? Um, this is really important and, and meaningful to work on. Chris Ermson, CEO at Aurora. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you. Pleasure. Chris Ermson is CEO of Aurora which is developing self-driving technology for cars and trucks. We spoke on stage recently at the GeekWire Summit. You can see the show notes on this episode for related links and information. Kurt Milton edited this week's show. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.